Thank you for joining us on the Real Religion Podcast today, where a rabbi and a reverend walk into a podcast and talk real about religion. Shalom, shalom. Howdy, Eric. Good afternoon, man. And to you. You all right? I'm okay. How are you? I am sitting. I am McDonald's. <laughs> Have you tried the new knockoff crispy chicken sandwich? <laughs> no, but I did get the Popeye's crispy sandwich yesterday. What? I thought those things were still being fought over. No, no. You can go right through the drive-thru, get them. <laughs> There's no Chick-fil-A within 30 miles of here, but McDonald's has lost this, launched this new crispy chicken sandwich. And it even comes in a foil baggie like Chick-fil-A. They are trying so hard. Oh, you think it's a Chick-fil-A thing, not a Popeye's thing. A totally Chick-fil-A knockoff. It even comes with chicken, bread, pickle. That's it. I mean, it is... Oh, man. That's what Popeye's is also, by the way, except they have a spicy sauce. Oh, yeah. Um, well, and McDonald's, you can get theirs on Sunday. That's right. As opposed to like the Mercedes Benz, the not on Sunday chicken sandwich at Mercedes Benz Stadium in Atlanta. Because and and watch the subtlety here. Chick-fil-A is using their religious freedom to choose not to sell on Sunday. That's so true. I can't believe they're being that discriminatory against people who eat on Sundays. (laughs) (laughs) It's funny. And yet... (laughs) That's our conversation today, folks. Not about Chick-fil-A, although it probably could be an episode, um, but about religious freedom, uh, what that means, uh, certainly in context of the First Amendment in in terms of some recent court cases that uh, Joel and I have have learned about and talked about. And and yeah, we're going to talk about what it means, what it doesn't mean, what it should mean, all those all those kinds of things today. I think. (laughs) Yeah, so let's get into it. The Supreme Court has had several big decisions recently. And uh, while Eric and I are both students of the law, we're not lawyers in the American uh, definition of that. But we're going to have to give you a little bit of context uh, of what's going on. Perhaps you all realize that there's a a, a amendment in our Constitution that allows the free exercise of religion. And Eric and I, both being religious leaders and uh, servants through religious organizations, it's a curious thing to hear that. I love hearing it. And then I see other folks interpret in certain ways. I get a little uncomfortable. And here's what's coming to mind. You remember that bakery that wouldn't bake a cake for the, the same-sex couple? That's out there. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Remember the uh, the Catholic organization that didn't want to provide contraception on, on their health care plan, even to their secular employees. Um, remember the religious organization that provided adoptive services but didn't want to adopt out children to same-sex couples. Uh, a lot of those cases have been decided by the Supreme Court in the last year or two in favor of religious freedom. And, and I'm, I'm stuck. A lot of those things don't feel like religious freedom, but it does feel like a religious institution wanting freedom to do whatever they want. 
but it doesn't feel like religious freedom. And I'm stuck, Eric. I need some I need some help clarifying the difference between a religious institution doing whatever it wants I think versus you, no, religious I think that's freedom. The, I think you nailed the the challenge and and the difficulty in dealing with this. Because I I I tend to think of the metaphor, and I've brought it up before, of the the archer that pulls the bow back, releases releases it, uh, and and it it hits it way off the target. But then the archer goes on with a paintbrush and paints the bullseye right around the archer, and then says, "Ah, that's you know that's religious freedom." <laughs> so what what people are saying is quote unquote part of their religion. Sometimes I think is is really their personal preference, but under the guise, under the authentic authenticity or the rubric of religion, it's like using it using religion as a proof text for something you hold dear, and therefore it, it gains some higher authority. Um, my challenge is whose religious freedom, because if you're not serving, let's say, a gay couple or an African-American or or you won't provide, you won't let a, a Jewish couple adopt a child or whatever it is, that's against their religious freedom. And so sometimes I, I am, not sometimes, I am fearful that it becomes a uh, a game of the, the winner, the majority, whoever the majority is or whoever the loudest is, gets to assert what they want. But but others don't necessarily. Yeah, there it, a lot of this is so in the court levels. There was this standing that um, New York Times has a, a podcast called The Daily, and it was on there recently. So good. Yeah, just the, in general, their general podcast, but this particular episode that you're going to talk about. Too. Yeah, they find like one issue that you're accustomed to hearing ninety seconds on, and they go in for thirty minutes, and they give you the pluses and the minuses, and the ups and the downs, and the sides and it helps. Um, so they were remembering. It's almost that, as good as religion. In fact. Re, yeah, that's right. They're too, we're keep, they're, we'll catch them. We'll catch them. Uh, there was an older case where a Native American religion practiced the use of an illegal substance, a drug, in Aiyote. yeah, in their worship services, um, smoked or I don't know, and and the state said, no, no, you can't do that. Um, and the rule was, look, we're not discriminating against you as religion because we hold the same rule for all human beings. This is an illegal substance for everybody, so it's not religious discrimination, it's equal. And, and um, they, the New York Times was asking the question, is that rule changing? Like, as if we are, we're battling back now, the religious people of the country are battling back and pushing back because we feel discriminated against. And we're demanding more than equal treatment. We're demanding real religious freedom. And the one, oh, I'm, I'm sorry to interrupt, Joel, the, the one that got me that is is really egregious is this California law. So again, just a little bit of context. There's a, because of the pandemic, California put a rule on the books um, that for an indoor gathering at, at someone's home, a private indoor gathering, you cannot have more than three households present. So, you know, it, it, it's to protect against kind of a super spreader event. And there was a religious organization or community that 
fought that and it went up to the Supreme Court and the Supreme Court turned it over. And I'm listening to this and I'm a little bit aghast because I'm also thinking too of there are every religion, Judaism, Christianity, Islam has priorities of things. And yes, worshiping in person at someone's home is certainly a beautiful, powerful thing, but it's not central to religious practice. You could worship outside. Every religion has individual prayer. And I mean, I, and Judaism, I mean, we talked about Judaism places such an importance on the concept of a minion of 10 people worshiping together, but it sometimes can't happen. And then people, there are rules for worshiping themselves. So that was, that was the first thing I thought of is what precept is being vi violated that's so important, Right. And then, and then, like you said, it's, and the New York Times made this comparison of, well, you know, what if a religious organization didn't want to pay taxes and said it was against religion? I mean, it sounds ridiculous, but it, it's in the same spectrum of argument. And I, I just don't know what to do with all this, to be honest. There was a religious practice of burning witches a long time ago. And at some point, the state said, no, it's a bad idea to ever burn anybody. Um, and and that wasn't, that's an impingement on that religion's freedom to burn witches. Uh, now, that's a ridiculous stretch, right? I, and, and I don't mean to, like, take it to the radical, ridiculous, absurd end, but we're going to have to be clear if we're going to to really protect the free exercise of religion, um, the difference between the, a religion's communal responsibility to practice its religion in the wider community that is our country versus the, the person's private space to do whatever religious rites and whatever privately or with those who commit to be inside the community of the religion to do their actions their own unique way. When I am in my religious space with my religious community, we do certain things a certain way. And the way we do that, I would hope we have some freedom to do that. And the state would never impose on us that we must pray to Caesar, right? That, and if they try, I mean, I'm not doing it. But when I leave my religious space and I take my religious values into the wider communal context that is our town or our country or our state, I also abide by those rules that keep the wider community safe. And if they're COVID rules, wear a mask, maintain six feet, right? Uh, don't, don't have more than one or two families that you're ever in maskless contact with in homes so that you limit the super spreader event. I'm going to honor those rules, not because of my religious contract and some my religious community, but because of my wider contract in my state or country's community. And it seems so weird that I find almost the ones who are protecting religious freedom do so under the guise of patriotism. I like, well, I'm honoring my constitution, my constitutional right to have religious freedom. But I find it as if, well, I'm going to honor my religious freedom and in so doing, um, break myself from the wider community that is the country that I also love. And I don't, I don't have to choose. Like, Religion is always going to be the priority for me, 
But I don't have to choose obedience to A or B. And if I do, I'll choose religion. But I haven't, I haven't found that this country's ever made me sacrifice a key religious value yet. So there is, for more observant Jews, there is um, something that uh, happens fairly frequently, and that is um, folks who are uh, Shabbat observant having to take to not work on Fridays in a traditional Monday through Friday job. And that that can be a challenge because if, if you know, especially in winter and fall, when when the sun goes down a little bit earlier and Shabbat starts early, um, it's not just a question of being home by then. It's a question of having dinner ready by then, because once Shabbat starts, you one who's observant is not going to use electricity and turn on and off lights and all those sorts of things. And, um, you know, should it be a law that all employees uh, must exempt people from working on on Friday afternoons if they're Jewish. And and I am Jewish, and I don't know that I agree that that should be the case. Yeah. Well, and the reason I've never felt something like that from the state is because I'm a white male Christian. And I— And your Shabbat's already on the weekend. I mean, the whole society is designed for my way of doing religion— so I don't. I wasn't saying I've never felt that as if I don't believe it happens. I've said I was saying I've never felt that because I realize it's kind of tilted to my way of doing religion. So there's a part of me that does want to fight for freedom of religion from state interference, but not so that it all looks more like mine, but so that it's truly uh, free for all religious practices, but then we will have to find some way to figure out what is religious practice. Well, and you brought up something that uh, Judaism has thought about for thousands of years, which is the the balance between one's religious community and the secular community that one is a part of. And um, Judaism has this phrase, minhag hamakom, the custom or the way of the land, and it's a reference to the idea that that most of the time you have to follow the laws of wherever you're living. And Jews have lived in a lot of places and been kicked out of a lot of places. And so that idea that one's secular place in some ways is more important in terms of following the laws and being a part of the community than one's religious, it's, it's almost the opposite, that you you wouldn't claim freedom of religion for something very specific uh, that only you and your your religious community follow, but rather your responsibility is also to the larger community. And that matches with um, the Jesus way as well as my Reformed Presbyterian way. The the Jesus way the some of the Pharisees and scribes were questioning him one day to try to get him in trouble with the state. Um, and, and they said, uh, is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar? And because th- there was a an issue there, right? So which one? Which one's more important to you, temple or state? Temple or state? And uh, Jesus said, somebody give me a coin. And they gave him a coin and he held it up and says, whose head is that? And it says Caesar's. And he flipped it back to him and said, give to Caesar what is Caesar's, give to God what is God's. 
and and they were trapped, right? Because now he, where they were trying to make it a binary decision where he becomes the judge of which is which, he flips that coin back into their hand and makes them decide where is your obedience going to be, to the nation state or to the kingdom? And, and they hated that, right? Because that's a tough call to make. Um, and in the reform practice, the first thing Calvin did when he was in Geneva setting up his way of doing church that would be a little different was he said, look, we're, we believe mayors, <laughs> councilmen, they're elected by God too, and they do their best. They make a rule for us, and we're going to follow it. We're citizens of this city, and they made city rules. We're going to do our best to follow them, and if they're wrong, we're going to do our best to convince them to change them, just like we do in church governance. Um, so we're going to honor our political leaders, even when they're stupid, and we're going to resist them and try to convince them to do it differently. But if they make a law, we're going to obey it. And if we don't obey it because of religious conviction, then we're going to suffer the the due consequences that the city proclaims. So if you protest something, say, and the city arrests you, that's a very Christian thing to do. And it's not freedom of religion to not be arrested for expressing your religion at a protest. Freedom of religion is to express your protest and accept the consequences of your religion if it conflicts with the state. So I'm I'm still stuck on these uh, court decisions that seem to give, I don't know, it, it's not freedom of religion. It's kind of uh, preference for oh, that's religion. That's the word I was going to use. Yeah. Yeah. And, and there might be an irony for our listeners or, or seem counterintuitive that two people who have devoted their lives to serving religion find these these laws uh, somewhat disturbing or difficult. But I, that is the case for both of us. Well, and it's because religion isn't about privilege. Religion is about service. It, it's about setting yourself under to to lift up the whole. So if you ever find religion and you demanding the benefits and privileges of your religion, well, then, okay, that's a weird religion and not one I'm interested in. But what I'm trying to figure out is if I'm okay with my society still protecting the religious freedom that expects preference or privilege. Yeah, I mean, I can I can tell you that growing up as a minority, even as you know a younger child, I re, I would feel a sense of comfort at the First Amendment with regard to religion, knowing that you know forty years earlier, fifty years earlier was the Holocaust, and that people people still hate Jews in different places, certainly in the world, and also, sadly, America. And I remember thinking, even as a teenager, I am so glad that according to law, I can be Jewish and celebrate Judaism the way I see fit, regardless of who the president is, regardless of you know who, who our Congress people are in, in terms of religious identity. And that made me feel really good. But, but then as you grow up and you learn about these court cases and what people are talking about there, it, 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 kind of, it goes over the line. It goes over. The, yeah. I, I don't know if you and I talked about the Overton window in an episode or not, but 
Um, it's one of those fun things that uh, I find on Wikipedia every now and then. The, the Overton window is, is this reference to kind of what is acceptable discourse in society, like what's the range. And so a lot of liberals um, like me during the last four years would often talk about how Trump's actions and words were outside of the Overton window, right? They're, they're like completely out of bounds. And that's how I feel about this stuff. Like, like going to the Supreme Court because you can't have your friends over your house because of your religion, it just seems ridiculous to me. I'm so you know, and granted that that it doesn't go against my religion of Judaism. It doesn't. I, nothing is impinging me in terms of that. So it, that might be easy for me to say, but I still maintain that to be the case until until shown otherwise. <laughs> Maybe my, it, it, I'm trying to still grasp it. You and I are, are pulling at all kinds of strings and it's it's weaving something. Um, and, it, it, oh, and let me, one thought just came to me, Joel, just to tie this together, two sentences. Part of it, I think, for me is that in, for both of us and in both of our uh, ideas about what our religions teach, the the health of the greater community is itself a priority. So that this law in specific, which I don't want to dwell too long on, it's like you you would risk possibly the health of people to ha- just to have people in your house like that. That to me is a higher religious value of protecting life. And so that that that's a major disconnect for me that I was just able to articulate. Yes, that's it. It's when my religious value would naturally honor the protection of the wider community beyond my religious community. That is a the way I freely practice my religion, and the government isn't restricting me from doing that. In fact, they're encouraging me to do that with their rules and restrictions, and I'm happy to oblige. Uh, perhaps my my issue on this is inside the bounds of our religious community, I do want us to have the freedom to practice our religious speech and action inside the boundaries of our community in the certain way. So if we like to play the organ <laughs> or the, the piano, right, I don't want the government ever telling me, I'm sorry, you have to lead worship with French horns and oboes only. Uh, no, that's your congregation that'll do that for you. <laughs> sure. So, I, it, But I don't feel comfortable when something happens where my religious community develops a doctrine, a a belief system, a this is right, this is wrong system, and then tries to impose that system back out onto the wider community, regardless of whether or not they are with me in my religion. Then it feels like I'm no longer free to exercise mine. It feels like I am allowed to impose mine onto others. I think you you just delineated that so well. And it, for me, the issue that corresponds to that is abortion. I got in a in a long debate uh, with, with a dear friend who's now a Greek Orthodox minister. At the time, he was Catholic. And we were talking about uh, abortion and whether it's right or wrong and more to the point whether it's illegal, whether it should be illegal. And he was telling me all the reasons why he's pro-life. And I and I said, I'm not trying to convince you not to be. My question is, why do I have to be pro-life in your argument? In other words, 
you're following your religious integrity by knowing that in your family or in your church where you're a leader, at the time he was a lay leader of a church, there will not be abortions. That, that makes sense to me. To preach that, teach that to your flock, a 100%. But why do I need to follow that? Mm-hmm. And, and, and that goes to that imposition you're, you're speaking about. I've had a lot of conversations about abortion with members of churches and others as well. Not that this has to be that topic, but we can even stretch that to reproductive rights or um, for, for sure, yeah, prophylactics, birth control, what you know, whatever. And there are religious groups who it really doesn't matter where on that spectrum you're talking. Like, will you provide birth control on your health plan all the way to? a late-term abortion of some type, and they just say no to all of it on on faith, uh, on a description of faith, even if they have a secular employee in their faith organization, say. They, they don't want to provide it to them. And then you, you just realize, okay, like somehow that religious belief is allowed to impinge on the the freedoms of someone else to get a monthly prescription for a birth control pill. And is wow, like, how does that work? At what point did we interpret the freedom to exercise religion to the freedom to impose religion on others? And and I'm I, I love the freedom to choose it and practice it with me and those who agree with me or who are testing it with me that religion this way works for us. I, I'm I get very uncomfortable when I when I see one religion allowed with government help, mind you, to impose itself on the wider community, and, and yeah. that feels like the more unconstitutional way. Like this country was founded to say no, no, no. We're not going to have one big religion that the government sanctions and kind of pushes down on everybody, but it feels like we're getting closer to the very thing that the First Amendment was designed to protect us from. Right, because right now, the recent cases don't necessarily prefer one religion over another, but it's I, I think that's my fear, especially as a minority, that it that could happen down the line. I mean, if we just, you know, take thinking logically about what's happened the last few years with regard to these things. And frankly, I don't even think, again, even though I make my living by religion and religion is a, a foundational core of who I am, I don't think religion should get a preference. It just shouldn't get um, prejudiced by the government. Can you imagine something in in y'all's community where you would want government protection of your unique way? I mean, protection is a loaded word in the sense of, um, you know, I think about security. I think about vandalism or people coming in who shouldn't be coming in and wanting to do bad things, God forbid, a million times. Um, But I, I can't think of something where there is a civil law that violates an important Jewish precept or custom. And I think that word important is important. 
you know, it, it, because th there's so many idiosyncrasies and rules and specificities to all religions that, of course, there are going to be conflicts. Of course, there are going to be. But I think we all really have to be honest with ourselves and say, does it, how much does it matter? How much does it matter that you can't go into the house of someone else? Um, I actually do have empathy. I under, I get the argument for people who are pro-life that own businesses that have to think about health care. I get it. It violates their values. I, I, I really do understand it. Um, it makes me sad, but I do understand it. I don't, I don't agree with it that they get to impose. And, and, and even the argument of, well, someone has the right not to work there. I mean, that is true. And, you know, no one's forcing people to work at somewhere they don't want to work. So even there, I can vacillate a little bit. But at the end of the day, I, I, I lean more toward the side of you, you shouldn't be able to impose unless it is explicitly a religious organization. Like at my temple, yes, I am imposing a brand of Judaism. You are imposing a style of Presbyterianism. Um, but you're not doing that when you go to McDonald's and get their fake sandwich. <laughs> yeah, it is a fake. Like, it's a cheap <laughs> knockoff. I'll tell you that. It is not the real thing. <laughs> okay, so this might be like an inversion of the abortion issue. Let's, let's play with another hypothetical for a minute. There are some uh, fates, the only ones I think of are Christian, that are very opposed to medical science and treatment. And let's say that they have a, a three-year-old, a young child, who has a treatable but lethal cancer. And a family member who is in the medical profession recognizes the cancer in their kid and drives their kid to the ER. And the doctors there begin treatment. And then the parents arrive and say, our faith does not allow you to treat this child and to not end its life before it is the child is born, but to save this child's life after it is born. So I wonder if those who defend abortion, like the religious freedom to stop abortion, what would they do religious freedom-wise at the point of a child dying and the parents in faith refusing life-saving treatment? Wow. I'm so glad you're asking me easy questions today, Joel. I, I, so first of all, I, I do see a possibility of someone being both pro-life and a Christian scientist. I don't see those as, even though I, of course, am neither, um, I, I don't see those as being uh, exclusive to one another. Oh, that's a tough one. I... I, I I don't know. My gut I, says, right, just my gut, 
and, and I, I'm trying to decide if this is a hypocritical position. My gut says, of course, we're pro-life. We would never, ever, ever want any medical treatment to end a life before it is born. And then at the same time to say, we would never, ever, ever want any medical treatment to save the life of one that is born. And to me, that sounds hypocritical, like in my head. I, I feel well, like, wait, you're trying to save life or save life? Or are you trying to save life and then end life? And, and they would say, in faith, we believe God will heal and we don't need the medicine to do it. And if we do the medicine, we're breaking or faith. Right. Yeah. And, and the, so the that, that feels I, hypocritical to me. Sure. But would we allow well, the freedom there. of the faith to let that, children, that child die? What I'm stuck on is the fact that the child's a minor. So in other words, if the child's 18 and of you know sound mind and makes the decision on their own, and they're a Christian scientist, and uh, or 30 or 40, whatever it is, and they make that decision on their own, I think it's sad and tragic, but I respect it. I think one ultimately should... Ha- should be quote unquote allowed to make those decisions. That's a hospice decision. It's very similar to a hospice. It, yeah, decision. absolutely. Yes. It, yeah. Although hospice usually gets involved when there's no more possibility of medical treatment. True. Yes. Or um, a person just simply doesn't want to suffer the treatment. Right. Yeah. Right. 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 Let's make it a fifteen-year-old. The case of a three-year-old. Yeah. The, yeah. The case of a three-year-old, or frankly, even a fifteen-year-old, the parents are making that decision. Should they be legally allowed to or morally? I think both of those are, tr- are tough questions. If because the state's really going to say believe... an abortion is illegal, right, because it's the killing of a child, you would think that the state would say to the parents of a 15-year-old with a treatable but lethal disease, that's also murder. That's also – it's the same as killing an unborn child. If you're – if you take the treatment that kills or if you refuse the treatment that saves, it's the same decision and the, the – culture judges that to be against the law, but the faith would allow you to do both or either. And then which one wins? Is freedom of religion? Are we going to put that up there at that highest level? I cannot imagine that this hasn't been argued in courts. That specific example of of Christian scientists. And Mm -hmm. I mean, or if someone knows a a particular precedent or something, please let us know. Um, Yeah, that is because again, it's, it's hard for me as someone who doesn't believe that to get into that Mm -hmm. headspace. But for someone who really believes that, that that's God's will. That's what they. That's what. That's how they should behave. To namely to not get you know human interference, so to speak. Um, should they be? Should they be allowed to practice that? Uh, even with regard to their own children, that is a tough one. Some people hate hypotheticals, but I I like them only because they help me try to figure out. Okay, I've got this certain doctrine or this certain theology, these certain principles. If I find myself in a real life situation, does that principle hold? Right? Does it does it really carry me through? So let's imagine another one: a a Jewish couple it, um, has a child, and their the child has some complications and is rushed off to NICU. 
real fast um, before the parents can really hold the child or anything. And on uh, at work that day in the hospital is a Christian chaplain who realizes the child is at great risk, um, a life and death decision, born but it's touch and go. And the Christian chaplain, because of his or her faith beliefs, baptizes the child in the NICU without the parents' I think knowledge. they'd get fired if they were sure. if they worked for any of them. Yes, they could. <laughs> they could get fired. Is that a free, Hopefully. protected um, practice of faith? She was trying to do what was best for the child in her religion, and she was imposing her religion on somebody beyond her religious community, but she was uh, he, he or she, the chaplain, was practicing their faith in goodwill towards another person of the community, against I, so their I will, but in goodwill. I don't love that example because a ch- that's not a chaplain's job. A chaplain's job isn't to practice their faith. A good chaplain can is supposed to adapt. You could say that about cake bakers. That- hey, it's not a cake baker's job to practice their faith. It's just to bake a cake. But, you know, if it turns out to be a gay couple <laughs> wanting the cake, all of a sudden the cake baker is practicing their faith, man. Uh-oh. Yeah. Uh-oh. Hypotheticals everywhere. Joel's confusing the issue. No, you need to start reading the Talmud. This is like half of the Talmud <laughs> is, is giving examples of things that then spur a, a debate of, of thought experiments. I love it. Yes. Oh, for sure. I would love it. Yeah, that's basically what our podcast is, is one massive midrash. But the <laughs> Emphasis on the rash. Yeah. Well, I, I'm going to keep thinking about this, Joel. Oh, um, boy. And, <laughs> I got you yeah. into the I'm keeping thinking on it. Oh, boy. No, no, it's good. It's good. It, it's I can't figure tricky. out where religious freedom, to practice it, ends and religious privilege to impose it begins well do you need to in other words like it's kind of like one of those things of having integrity having a bit of humility thinking about it deeply talking about others with it and then you know on a case-by-case basis which frankly thankfully for the two of us does not happen that often because i think that civil law and our own religious precepts are not in conflict with one another. I probably don't need to for me or my own people to continue freely practicing religion and occasionally accidentally or intentionally imposing it on others. Dang it. I, as a clergy person who worships the God that I, that I trust, I do feel like I need to know the difference so that I can protect my brothers and sisters of all faiths from doing harm to each other from faith to faith so that I can be more self-aware when other expressions of my own faith is doing harm to my brothers and sisters of other faiths or when the government is giving preferential treatment to my faith or some others over others. I, I feel like this debate is... My role in it is one where I could easily slam my head in the sand and do do nothing for the rest of time and go, what? What's the problem, y'all? It's fine. I don't, I don't see what you're complaining about. But that's because of being a white male Christian. 
Um, so I feel like on behalf of all my other brothers and sisters of other faiths, I I do want to know where that line is so that I don't trample them, my faith doesn't trample them, my government doesn't trample them. And to me, there's a there's a substantive difference between me trampling them and the government trampling them. I mean, I certainly don't want to. And I, like you, I'm sure I've, I've done that unintentionally. Um, but, it, but it's a difference of type when it's by fiat, by law, from the government. For a long time, the movie Contact was one of my favorite movies with Jodie Foster and Matthew yes. McConaughey, a young Matthew McConaughey. And uh, it's a little dated now, but it's it's very worth watching um, if, if no one's seen it. And um, at its core is really the debate between quote-unquote science and religion, truth and myth, all those kinds of things. And there's this um, interesting thing, and I don't think I'm giving anything away, where uh, Jodie Foster wants to be the first astronaut to to visit another life and she essentially doesn't get it because she publicly says she doesn't believe in god and one of the um arguments that is brought to her says look you know 90 percent of the human population believes in god how can you be our spokesperson if you don't and so like even their religion and of course not everyone who's religious believes in god we've talked about that but you know, again, it shows this kind of preference toward religious people in general. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, interesting stuff, Joel. Yeah, I love that. And at the end, she has that experience, and then she's being grilled about her experience, which now she kind of does and believe something, and now they're That's all right. grilling her, just like she, she used to grill everybody it. else. Yeah. Um, and even though the design said, don't bolt the chair down, they didn't trust it, so they bolted the chair down. And then the first thing that happens is the bolts under the chair break. I, that's perfect. I, I love Of course, that. the engineer, Joel, uh, remembers oh, that that's scene. beautiful. That's right. It's just so beautiful. There's a great quote in that movie. I use it all the time. It's totally ridiculous. It, it says, it, it is, um, why buy one when you could buy two for twice the price? <laughs> Thank you for joining us on the Real Religion Podcast today, where a rabbi and a reverend walk into a podcast and talk real about religion. I'm Reverend Joel Talbert, and on behalf of Rabbi Eric Linder and all the Real Religion fans out there, we thank you for being with us today and invite you to send us any feedback or suggestions or topic ideas to realreligionpodcast at gmail.com. Until next time, keep it real.